0: everybody, welcome to the New Zealand Initiative podcast. I'm here with my colleague, Dr. Michael Johnston. And This week, we are in the run-up to the election, and with a view to that, in the initiative this week, we've been having some really interesting conversations about voting systems. Because, as you probably know, New Zealand has the very interesting MMP system, the Mixed Member Proportional Representation System, and several of us have been thinking and writing articles about this system. Our fearless leader, Oliver Hartwich, I would say is more of an MMP, MMP skeptic. Yeah. Uh, he's more in favour of First Past the Post, the electoral system that they use in Canada and the UK. Eric Crampton, uh, another colleague of ours, is probably more on the First Past the Post side. We, I think, I don't want to put words into your mouth, but we're a little bit more... I- I'm definitely more in the MMP camp. Oh, I, you, Michael?
1: I, I am too. And, I mean, actually, contrary to the assumptions of some of our critics on Twitter, there is a lot of disagreement within the initiative about what the best voting system would be. Right. The, uh, the popular view out there seems to be that for some reason the initiative has a strong preference for first-past-the-post, but actually we, no, I mean we, we do like to argue.
0: Yeah, it's one of the many issues, I think, where we have a pretty healthy um, viewpoint diversity, something that we've argued in the past is a bit lacking from universities these days. But okay, I mean, putting that aside, <laughs> focus on electoral systems today, not universities. So maybe we could start out, uh, and I should say, we, we've said that Eric and Oliver are both more on the um, first-past-the-post side we should make sure, I guess, that we want to represent their views fairly and steelman their views. Absolutely. Um, so let's just start out by introducing people to these two voting systems. And, it, and that might sound kind of patronizing and maybe I'm sure lots of our listeners know how they work already. But uh, the initiative put out a report a few years ago called Democracy in the Dark. And they actually found that not that many people or you know, more people than you think did not understand some of the basics of, of this system. Uh, so let's just go through them quickly. So I'll do first-past-the-post, so I'll give myself the easiest job. So first-past-the-post is very simple. You have constituencies, and the candidate who gets the most votes in that constituency wins. It doesn't have to be an absolute majority. In other words, it doesn't have to be more than 50% of the Just votes. more cast. than all the others. It has to be more than any uh, of the others, that's right. So if you win 30%, and your next uh, highest vote-winning rival gets 20%, you still win, even though you didn't get 50%. Indeed. And it's very simple. So then you get all these constituencies, and the winner from each constituency goes to represent that constituency in Parliament. And you know, Parliament is created on that basis, and then there are other sort of conventions around how you form a government from that. Usually it's the biggest party. It doesn't have to be the biggest party that forms government. It's really the parties that can command some kind of majority in Parliament, uh, get the nod. Anyway, that's a separate topic, uh, really. So, F, uh, first past the post is the voting system that's, that's used in Canada, where I was born, in Britain, where I mostly grew up,
1: and in New Zealand until nineteen ninety six. And in New
0: Zealand until nineteen ninety six, and in lots of other parts of the world, uh, especially ones which sort of descended from the from British colonialism, These systems uh, dependent from uh, descended from Britain's. All right, MMP.
1: So MMP is only practiced in a handful of countries around the world, and including Germany is probably the, the most prominent example, but also, I believe, South Korea, Ethiopia, and Lesotho all have MMP systems, according to Wikipedia, anyway. Now, MMP is a more complex system than first-past-the-post. Each voter gets two votes. They still vote for a local constituent using a first-past-the-post system within that constituency, so just as under... First past the post system that James described, whoever gets the most votes, more than all the other candidates in the electorate, goes to Parliament. The difference is that there's an additional vote for a a party and each party comprises an ordered list of candidates which are admitted to Parliament from the party vote to make sure that the overall representation in Parliament for each party as closely as possible, uh, repre- uh, is proportional to their, their overall percentage of party vote.
0: Right, so, so first of all, the way of thinking about it is that, first of all, you look at the who wins the electorates, yep. and then, you know, for example, if Labour has 50% of the vote nationwide, but they've only won 25% of the electorate votes, then what you do is you give them additional... Uh, A- additional vote, candidates, I- additional you MPs. work down their party list yep, until... From they their th- party list, and you top it up to the point at which their proportion of... Seats in Parliament is the same, or, you know, it's pretty close to the their proportion of... Votes in the population, and yeah. so th- that's really, I, I guess. Well, I guess we're heading into normative territory already, but that's really one of the main sort of claims to fame or you know, advantages of the system. Indeed, it, it, it ends
1: up with yeah. with better representation, especially of minority viewpoints in parliament. I, I would say. Okay, but anyway, uh, I didn't. We'll, mean we'll, to, we'll uh, come to yeah, we'll come to that. I shouldn't have I shouldn't have jumped ahead there. But, but, uh, there's but a couple at this more point, things. there there are yeah. there are a couple of a, a couple of anomalies that can happen under MMP that are worth describing. So. The idea is that each party ends up proportionally represented in Parliament, but there are a couple of ways that that can not happen. One is that, first of all, we have a 5% threshold for getting people into Parliament unless the party wins an electorate seat. So if a party got 4% of the vote and won no electorates, it would not be in Parliament. So obviously that party would not be proportionally represented. Represented, if it was in New Zealand, it would probably deserve five seats with four percent of the vote out of the 120 seats. So that's that's one way. Now the other way is a little more complex. It's called the overhang, and this can happen when a party actually wins more electorates than it deserves according to its proportion of party votes. And when that happens, it gets bonus MPs, as it were. It gets bonus people in Parliament. And the size of Parliament expands accordingly. So, if a party got sort of, sorry, if a party deserved, say, 20 seats under its party vote, because it got uh, the right percentage of the vote to give it 20 seats, but it actually won 23 electorates, then it would still have 23. Members and yeah. so it would be over twenty-three percent of the electorates. But yeah, yeah basically, it would be overrepresented in parliament.
0: Yeah, and then the parliament would just get three extra seats. And, and so, so that would actually be that that increase in parliament would actually be slightly disproportionate.
1: That's right. Now there have been instances of overhang, I, I believe, in in New Zealand since MMP has been introduced, but it's never made a decisive difference in terms of who can form a government. I right. think I think that's accurate.
0: Is am I right in thinking that it? Possibly, in some scenarios, it might make a difference this time because the Maori Te Pāti Māori, the Māori party, has one of the Māori electorate seats. And if they're able to coattail on yeah. that, then that could make a difference. It could. So it Depending on their percentage of the party vote.
1: Well, yeah, it's not so much coattailing. Co- coattailing is what... Oh, hap- sorry, uh, yeah, I'm yeah. overhanging. Yeah. Overhanging, yeah. So, yes, if they were, for example, to win all of the Māori seats... But overall, they got just three or four percent of the vote, which is where they're polling. Maybe five, up to five percent. Then they would be potentially overrepresented in parliament as a result.
0: Okay, so let's go back and do coattailing once again because right. I, I probably confuse people. So. so
1: coattailing occurs when a party does win an electorate seat, and when that happens, even if they've got less than five percent, they get list members uh, to make to make up the. Proportion of seats that they deserve in terms of the proportion of party vote they they won. So if, for example, a party got 2% of the vote overall, but happened to win an electorate, then they'd end up with two or three MPs.
0: Okay, so that's an introduction to First Past the Post and MMP, how they work. So what we want to do now, I guess, is just to go through some advantages and disadvantages, pros and cons of these systems, uh, because we've we've had this discussion in-house, and I guess it's just Good to share our thinking with others and maybe people can write in and say what they think as well. So first of all, and I think this is kind of the most obvious difference, and I think this probably came out pretty clearly in the exchange we just had, advocates of first past the post say it's easy to understand.
1: Which is true enough. And I guess a lot of the arguments about which system is best depend on whether you like a simple system or one where people are represented parties are represented proportionately.
0: Yeah, no, I think the full argument there for the uh, the first-past-the-post proponents would be we want a simple system partly because democracy is meant to be about everybody taking part or as many people as possible. And so you want a simple system because not everybody has so much time to think and study about politics as we do. So, but we still want people to be involved in the political system, right, and to be represented. Yep. So a simple system is more democratic. Well, it, I
1: mean, it's good if voters understand yep. the system that they're using. I think that's a very fair point. Yeah.
0: So it's interesting because I, I, I was reading Democracy in the Dark, this New Zealand initiative report that uh, Eric Crampton, I think, authored or co-authored a few years ago. And they actually did a survey of what Kiwis know about politics, about their own system, and about some of the you know, recent things that have been going on in New Zealand politics. And it found that only 46% of Kiwis knew that parties have two routes to parliament. So that's the two routes that we just dis- or you've just described. You can either get more than 5% of the party vote or you can get one electorate seat. So only 46% of Kiwis, when asked, were able to say mm-hmm. that, were able to describe those two things. So that suggests that, you know, there's a minority of Kiwis who actually understand that MMP system, and that's yeah. worrying. However, I do also note that um, the same report cites survey findings... From Canada, that 50% of Canadians, when surveyed a few years ago, thought that you had to get an absolute majority to win a, a riding, as it's called in Canada, or a constituency, Rather than a simple majority, i.e. you had to get, more than, you had 50 to get percent. more than 50%. So it seems like a lot of people actually misunderstand first past the post. I wonder what well. they thought
1: would happen if no party got more than 50%, which would be most of the time or a lot of the time. Yeah,
0: it's funny, isn't it? I mean, you think maybe sometimes people when they're asked these questions, they kind of second guess themselves because they think, oh, they wouldn't be asking it unless it was more difficult than I think. But I,
1: anyway. have to, I have to say, uh, as somebody with an interest in numeracy education, there are a lot of people who don't actually know what a percentage is as well so that that one percent no just kidding that's a that, that's a fundamental issue with understanding any electoral system probably
0: so anyway it seems like a lot of folks don't really understand their electoral systems i'm not saying this to kind of shame them i'm just saying this you know as a democrat because it's a concern like we want to have people involved and we want to have people understanding their electoral system and you know we probably can meet meet people halfway of course civics education is important but we also want to have systems that are S- as simple as possible, or at least like simplicity is one good, uh, is one virtue of an electoral system, I yep. guess. I do think, even despite that, uh, quoting that uh, report uh, survey from Canada, it does strike me that MMP is just a lot more complicated, right? It, 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 I think if you did m- more questions about these systems, uh, there would be more more misunderstandings about MMP than there, there are... There's definitely more post. room to, to yeah, There's more it. to misunderstand I mean, I even, uh, even having prepared for this podcast, I just had a little s- slip back there, you know, overhangs and Cuttales curtailing and all these and, things, yeah. and the two types of vote, and yeah. All right, another argument that uh, first-past-the-post advocates make is that uh, proportional representation in general, but also mixed-member proportional representation, MMP, it gives a lot of power to sort of small support parties... And you end up with these coalitions which are often a bit messy. And you also end up with these people in a sort of king maker position, or shall we say king or queen maker position. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no prizes for who we're thinking about in a New Zealand context, but you can't have these people who get, you know, a relatively modest share of the vote, shall we say, let's say just more than five percent. And then they're basically in the position to decide whether the country is gonna go with the center right or the center left in government, right?
1: Yeah, and and some of these people have been known to act on grudges in those sorts of situations, and
0: I can't I can't possibly imagine yeah. who you might be no. speaking about. But,
1: but but in any case, I I actually see I don't see the problem of well I don't see messy coalitions as necessarily being a problem. I mean, democracy can be a messy thing, can't it? It might be much cleaner to have a, a dictatorship where. Somebody is in charge and tells everybody what to do. But democracy is innately a messy beast. Wouldn't yep. you agree? As a, yeah, I, I actually
0: a, do agree with that. I mean, I think advocates of first past the post would say, uh, you know, they're not in favor of dictatorship, but they, they might be in favor of kind of strong democratic governments. Yep. So like, yes, we have an election and that's really important. But once we have an election, you know, the people who voted for X, they want to have X, you know, they want to actually have a strong dose of whatever they voted for. Yeah. And first past the post will, will give you that. That's the argument, I think.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think you can definitely make the case that the style of prime minister has been affected by, that we get has been affected by MMP. Mm. I mean, I I can think back to my young days when Robert Muldoon was prime minister. He was certainly on the authoritarian side. He was followed by David Longy, who I, I wouldn't describe as an authoritarian, but he was certainly very robust in his views. I think possibly under MMP, we've had more conciliatory prime ministers. I think of Helen Clark and John Key in particular. Yeah. Even even Jacinda Ardern, perhaps you'd put in those that category of being consultative prime yeah, ministers. Yeah, I guess
0: that in Canada, I'm trying to think. I mean, I suppose it sort of all depends on what you think of these prime ministers, you know, how you describe them. But I think a lot of people would describe Trudeau. I mean, the elder Trudeau, actually. Trudeau yeah. pair. As a li- having a little bit of an authoritarian streak that maybe he wouldn't have gotten away with in an MMP system, I think Margaret Thatcher famously said that she was a conviction politician, not a compromise politician. Yeah, and I do wonder whether she would have been able to do that in an MMP system. Which, exactly. of course, as an argument, it kind of it's it's actually in favor of MMP if you disliked that kind of style or dislike Margaret Thatcher style. And and it's actually against it if you if you liked it. It, it, it may be do.
1: hard to separate from broader social trends about what kind of leader people like as well. I'm not I'm not sure yeah. about the research on that. But um, in any case, to me, the the greater problem than the coalitions, which I think is actually a good thing in the sense that people get represented uh, by the parties that they vote for in proportion to the the. The vote that those parties capture yeah, is, that the, is the king or queen maker issue. I think, okay. I think that, that to me is more of a, a problem with MMPs. I, I, I still prefer it to first past the post, but I do see that as something that is a bit arbitrary or can create... Uncertainty in voters' minds as to what they're going to get when they cast their votes.
0: Okay, well, let me play devil's advocate on that one. So, um, a lot of political scientists talk about sort of median voter theory. The, the theory being that democracy, what it does, is that it creates governments that are kind of near to the median voter. That what the average voter's preferences are. Yeah. And so, uh, the the people who are these king or queen makers, they tend to be in that position, right? They tend to have been kind of. Close to the centre. Otherwise, they wouldn't be in a position to sort of choose both sides, right? So, so in that sense, maybe they deserve that power because they're, they've tacked to the centre. I, I see
1: what you're saying because if you were talking about, say, ACT, they'll realistically only ever go with National and the Greens will realistically only ever yep. go with Labour. And then you have something like New Zealand First, which you could say sits in the middle and can go either way. There is a, a different way of seeing that, which is not that they sit in the middle, but, which, but just that they're opportunists, that they yep. they do whatever they think is to their advantage. So that's the opposite of conviction politics. And you can you can imagine... I mean, if I think of Peter Dunn, for example, the, his United Future Party, I think he was the only member of it ever uh, in Parliament, but he was perpetually an MP f- through several successive governments just by giving his support to whichever side needed it at the time and he probably had a legitimate claim to be pretty much centrist. I'm not so sure about our friend Winston
0: well you know maybe sir Winston Peter Peters Peter, Peter Dunn, these these people they're serving the people they're staying close to the center they're getting rewarded for that and then you know one time when the time comes they're they're choosing the side that they think and they're and they're they're flexible and that allows them to choose the side that they think best serves the people
1: yeah I mean that, that I'm sure that's the way they describe it
0: It's a a possible argument. All right, so um, yeah, just going back to this thing about stronger, clearer governments from first past the post. So there is some literature on this. A book I read a while ago, it's actually a pretty old book now, a famous Dutch political scientist called Leipart. The book is called Patterns of Democracy. And he basically looks at systems of proportional representation, which have lots of coalitions, and first past the post systems, which have fewer coalitions. And he looks at these countries, uh, the various outcomes for these countries in terms of the economy, in terms of medical care and so on and so forth. And he actually finds that first past the post doesn't consistently lead to better outcomes, right? Because you might expect that if the argument is Mm -hmm. we need strong government and strong democratic government that you'd get systematically better outcomes. Maybe not on everything, but maybe on the economy. Leiphardt says no. He had a relatively small data set. I think it was 36 countries. There may have been other things on that since. And I know that Eric has sent me a lot of stuff that's been published more recently about systematic differences. The measures, the outcome measures that you use, of course, these can also be disputed. So, Absolutely, I mean, so that was I was yeah. going to say that:
1: yeah. is, are these things a valid measure of how how good a government is? Yeah,
0: and that kind of will depend on your politics, right? Because you know, growth might be something that people to the right of center, at least in recent times, value more than people on the left of center who might be more worried about health care or um, you know the equality or something. The other point I'd
1: make if we were comparing first-past-the-post and MMP is that the sample of MMP countries is very small, the population of MMP yeah, no, countries I think that, is very small.
0: Yeah, I think that Leipart's book was done with PR in right. general, but yeah, yeah. That's, a, that's a good point. I think s- some of the stuff Eric has sent me, they look like very well-designed studies. They s- tend to find something interesting, which is that proportional representation systems seem to correlate with higher levels of state spending, and first-past-the-post systems, first-past-the-post countries, have a, tend to have a lower level of of state spending now hopefully they've controlled for various factors uh other possible factors Is there. The,
1: do you recall if there was any uh mention of whether say center left or center right governments are more likely under one system or the other because that that could have potentially account yeah, for that I, that observation i don't know
0: about that i mean it would be kind of a hard thing to control for and i also think that if that was a result we would have heard about it because you know so many people have an interest and in, there's so many people who are on one side or the other, which is sort of natural that, you know, that if if, if, the, if, the, if there was a strong enough finding that first past the post was biased towards the right and proportional representation was biased towards the left, there'd be a huge hue and cry about it, right?
1: Perhaps. Yeah.
0: Um, so I don't know. But I mean, I, I do think that's one of those outcome measures, state spending, which is sort of like, I think it's a really important thing to know about if that's a real effect. However, you've got to also think, where I think that, electoral system should be neutral to, to sort of policy preferences, right? Yeah. Now that gets tricky because there are lots of outcome preferences which basically everybody likes. Like everybody likes, probably most people like a richer country rather than a poorer country, right? Uh, in general, most people like good healthcare rather than bad they, healthcare. They like stuff. But yeah. then once you get to other things, it's a little bit more debatable um, the level of, uh, of spending and, and uh, you know,
1: The other observation is that correlation isn't causation, so just because first-past-the-post systems tend to be associated with lower spending doesn't mean that they're the reason for it.
0: No, I I mean my impression of these papers, I only read one of them fully, but my impression was that these are good social scientists who know about that kind of thing and have tried to control for it. Whether they've been yeah. successful is a Well they
1: can't fully yeah. control for it because yeah. they can't do a true experiment. Exactly.
0: But yeah, they've tried they've tried their best and it, yeah. it, probably it's bedeviled by these relatively small data sets because actually we've only been we've only been doing this democracy thing for what 100 150 years or something and most most
1: of the world has been doing full democracy for about a century or less i mean i mean i think you know when i was born well under half of the country lived in democracies now sorry half half of the world world lived in democracies and there were plenty of non-democratic countries and very populous ones uh, around the place still
0: and it seems like First past the post is the kind of more simple way of doing it. Uh, as I say, a lot, a lot of countries inherited, inherited that from Britain. So PR is kind of like a, seems more like a second-generation thing, so the data set's probably smaller. Anyway, there are probably lots of these problems. Yeah. Okay, so now we get to this problem. I think you already mentioned it in passing, but it's kind of a. Ama- I I think this is actually one of the stronger arguments for first past the post, and this is actually something that might appeal to both of us because it also has a heritage that Karl Popper, who obviously... Are, hopefully people know, was in New Zealand. He wrote his great book, The Open Society and Its Enemies, in New Zealand. He wrote an article for The Economist, which you can easily Google, or maybe we'll add to the um, podcast, we'll put underneath the podcast. And he made this argument, and the argument is basically that first past the post allows you to see who is responsible for the policies that have been put into place. It basically allows you to see mm-hmm. very clearly who the government is, because it's usually just one political party. And then if you like the, the, the system, you know, you like what's been going on for the past four years or three years in New Zealand's case, you can vote for them. If you don't like what's been going on, you want to vote the bums out, you know who the bums are that you can vote out. And in MMP or in proportional representation with all these coalitions, it's much less clear because you might think, well, I really didn't like that government, but I can't tell whether it was was Sir Winston who did that or whether it was Jacinda O'Donnell who did did that. Who do I vote for?
1: Yeah. I mean, I I would say that If I was the leader of a a minor party, then I would be making a lot of noise about my policy gains. So whatever I'd agreed to in the coalition agreement, uh, which I'd got over the line, I would be vaunting very loudly. And that way, my voters at least would know what I had achieved on the policy agenda I'd stood on. uh, on.
0: Well, I mean, you say that, Michael, and I actually, I would say that i have a lot of confidence personally in your ability to get a message uh, across (laughs) you do a great great job here but political scientists often say that there are all these problems with politicians getting their message out because most people are you know restricted in the amount of time they have to spend on politics so it is a a real problem and um, most people are just going to go on basic heuristics yeah that those people i know were in power they were the party in power i'll vote them out anything more complicated Maybe it's not going to befuddle everybody, but you're going to have a much lower part of the uh, proportion of the electorate who who has a sense of who actually was responsible for what.
1: I'm sure that's true. I guess, though, at least, and this brings us to another thing, which I think is a great advantage from my perspective at any rate of, of MMP, minor parties at least get to get into government from time to time or to be part of a coalition government. And even if they're harmed by... Being associated with a major party that becomes unpopular and kind of thrown out along with them, at least they got to be in government, which under First Past the Post they wouldn't have very often. Uh, So, in between World War II and 1996, when New Zealand moved to MMP, there were only two parties that got uh, two non major parties that got anybody into parliament at all. One of them was the Social Credit party, which at one time had two members in Parliament, and that's the most any party got, and then Jim Anderton won a seat for New Labour in the in, in the 1990s, yeah. and that was it. So minor parties did not get a look-in, really, under first-past-the-post.
0: Yeah, it's very, very difficult to start new parties in first-past-the-post, and even some of the minor parties, like in the UK, for example, the Liberal Democrat Party um, has been a, a, a sort of major-minor party for, for many years. I think less so now than it used to be. but
1: Well, they kind of suffered from being in, in coalition with the Tories. Well, that they? was an interesting case
0: where actually it seems that um, a lot of people did blame Nick Clegg. The more leftward voters among the Lib Dem voters did blame Nick Clegg for for being in with the Conservatives and enacting some sort of right of center policies. But uh, what I was going to say is I just ha- I happened to have written down some of the figures for the 2010 UK election. And at that one, the Lib Dems won 23% of the popular vote. They won 57 seats. Labor won 29% of the popular vote. So, you know, not that much more than Lib Dems. You know, substantially more, but not that much more. And the Labor Party won 258 seats. So they won 258 seats. Lib Dems won 57 seats, and the difference is, what, 6%. Mm-hmm. So that's his prob- That's the problem with uh, parties that have, well, more minor parties, but also parties whose support is spread around, right? Because to, to win a first-past-the-post constituency, you have to have more votes than anybody else in that constituency. Yes. And it doesn't matter. You may come third in every constituency, or even sec- you may come second in every constituency election, but you still don't have anyone in Parliament. I mean, that's a, that's a theoretical possibility. That's right.
1: Uh, another thing that can happen in first past the post, you know, se- setting aside minor parties, is that the party with the greatest proportion of vote overall doesn't necessarily end up being the government.
0: Yeah, so this is... I'm glad you brought this up because actually this, I think, is... Well, it's a major problem with First Past the Post just on the face of it, just in terms of, you know, wanting a democratic system to represent what people voted. But I think it's also the strongest counter to this strong argument about accountability because basically Karl Popper and other advocates of this argument are saying to you, look, democracy is about being able to vote the bums out. It's the, the, You give mm-hmm. the people the power to vote out the government, okay? But actually, sometimes... In the first past the post, the distortions can be so major that the people, the majority of the people, are trying
1: to vote the bums out,
0: and they actually do not succeed. They failed.
1: It happened in 1981 in New Zealand. It happened
0: in 1978 in New Zealand. Right, 78 uh, as well. Two two elections in a row. So that Labor was ro- won the largest, Muldoon. Yeah, both yep. times it was Muldoon. Labor. So imagine. Uh, you know, we're neutral on this, obviously, but um, imagine that you're in the position back in the day, you, th- you see the Muldoon government, and you think, I hate the Muldoon government, I want to vote those bums out. And then actually what happens is that the majority of people, uh, not the majority of people, the um, the largest share of the popular vote, right? Uh, yep. they, they vote to get rid of Muldoon. And because of the way that it's transferred into seats, Muldoon's party actually wins the largest number of seats. Yep. And so, that, say,
1: so that happens when the party that doesn't end up with the most seats has won its seats by larger margins than the party that ended up with with more seats. So then the party that won by larger margins can have a higher proportion of the overall vote, even though they they won fewer seats. So in 1981, it was actually very close. It was within a, yep. a percentage point. But Labor got slightly more than, than national in terms of the overall percentage. But they got something like 10 fewer seats. Yeah, no, and actually,
0: um, I just looked this up, I put it on my Twitter for people who want to know the, the full details, but I could only find two examples. There may be more out there, but I found two countries in which they, uh, they there were two consecutive elections, which had this feature that the party with the largest share of the popular vote came second in the terms of the number of seats. The other country besides New Zealand is Canada. Mm-hmm. In, in very recent times, 2019 and 2021, the Conservative Party of Canada uh, had the largest share of the vote. Again, it was you know, very by by not very much, uh, but then they because Canada's a bigger parliament with more seats. They were well behind in the number of seats. Right. Yeah. So Trudeau Jr. actually got more power, quite significantly more power in parliament than the popular vote might have suggested. Mm. I mean, that that was the system, and everybody knew that coming in. But that that's what happened. Yeah. Those are distortions of first past the post, and I think we've done pretty much all of those that we wanted to do. Oh, maybe just add one more of these, which is just you think about the first-past-the-post system in a, in a given constituency or a given electorate, imagine you have a situation where Mr. Bean is running for office, and 70% of the people in the constituency, they detest Mr. Bean. Mm-hmm. They would rather anything else, anyone else gets into power except for Mr. Bean. Mr. Bean wins 30% of the vote. Yep, Only 30% of the people like him, but they all like him more than a anybody lot. else. Yeah. So you, you have a system where he gets into power even though everybody else is despises him. That's something that happens at first-past-the-post. Some of the... PR systems, where you have sort of second and third choices can be brought into uh, into account. They don't have that feature. So that's another drawback of first-past-the-post. But anyway, so we wanted to do... Because we've been talking a lot about distortions of first-past-the-post, we wanted to do just some distortions of MMP. Because proportional representation can have some issues, too. can lead to some funny things happening. And in particular, mixed-member proportional representation can lead to some funny things happening. And first, superbly a clear description of some of these funny things that are actually or may happen, I suppose, in this New Zealand election. Uh, Oliver Hartwich has just recently written an article which is up, uh, which is in the Australian, I think is or will soon be up on the New Zealand Initiative website as well. And he goes through a few of these funny things, some of which we've already talked about. So this thing about the overhang, Maori party, Maori Party is one one of the Maori electorates. It could win up to four of the specialist Maori electorates, uh, and then you have this problem that even though it has only two percent of the vote, it gets in, and then it could have pe- people, uh, more people come in because because it's already in Parliament. Yeah. Labour, uh, the, the situation you described before with Labour, uh, it might have more constituency, it might have more electorates than its popular vote would seem to uh, entitle it to, and then you have this. Interesting thing that would happen just on the political level, of you could get a sort of extinction of a lot of list MPs. So a lot of the sort of big beasts on the Labour list, uh, yeah, could be out because you know once the when the people win electorates when the constituency votes happen, um, that obviously has a there's a big argument for the democratic legitimacy that people have been voted in by the people. I agree, and so the list MPs are secondary. That, and they might that would out.
1: actually be the party's own fault, of course, because it could have given those big beasts safe electorates had it wanted to.
0: Right. So Oliver talks about this situation in o- the ohara electorate uh, where... So Labor's Greg O'Connor, who maybe isn't so popular with the party leadership, is going against um, Nicola Willis, who's obviously kind of a well-known national MP, and Oliver speculates that if you're an, a tactical voter in you're a national ta- tactical voter... You could actually. There's an argument that you, you might actually vote for the Labour candidate Greg O'Connor. Why? Because then y- y- having another Labour electorate MP in means that the big beasts on the Labour Party list have a lesser chance of getting back into Parliament. So maybe you really dislike Andrew Little, say, or someone like that, who's yeah. a who's a sort of prominent Labour politician on the list, and you want to you want to reduce his chances of getting in. You you do that by as a national voter, voting for the, the Labour candidate. You don't need to vote for the for Nicola Willis because, of course, Nicola Willis is very high on the on the National Party list. She's probably like number two or three, right? Yeah. So she's going to get it anyway. Yeah. So that's
1: kind of weird, right? It is kind of weird. Maybe the last thing to do is for me to describe a modification to MMP, which I'm quite keen on. You can tell me what you, you think of it. I think it would definitely simplify things, and it would also have the advantage that uh, everyone in Parliament would have had to face the voters in an electorate. So the way I'd like to see it evolve is that instead of the party list being constituted by party officials before the election, voters go to the election and they vote just for a local MP. However, after the election is is over, all of the losing candidates for a party get rank-ordered from greatest to least in terms of the proportion of vote they captured, even though they didn't win... And that, that becomes the party list. So then people are admitted from that list in order of the proportion of vote that they captured in their electorate to parliament to make up the numbers proportionately. And as I say, I think it would simplify things. Everybody votes just once. And secondly, it would arguably increase democratic accountability because everyone is, has faced an actual electorate and they haven't been chosen for the list by backroom deals in parties. Although the backroom deals still exist, of course, for electorate selection. But at least they have to choose people who are going to front up reasonably well to an electorate.
0: Yeah, and they have to... They're sort of... Them as human beings are directly selected or directly confirmed or rejected by people, by ordinary people. Yeah. So this is the Johnston plan for electoral reform. So I think... Because you wrote an article... You put this in an article months ago. Some time ago, yeah. Mm. Okay, so I think it's an interesting plan I mean uh, my only question is I guess so the intuitive thing there is you, you know the people who come what is it the people who come second or, or the people who come second or whatever it is across the country in their electorates the idea the intuitive idea is that um, you know more voters will have voted for them if they perform well right yes but so th- I think that in general may be the case but then there, there's f- some funny things like imagine you're in a um, imagine you're a candidate who's just in an electorate where they really like one, one candidate. Sure. So imagine... I mean, that
1: that's kind of your bad luck. Yeah. And, and, of course, the, the same thing pertains in any electorate now. Uh, I mean, there are constituencies where one party is just way more popular than the other, and it doesn't matter how good the other party's candidate is, they'll never win it. So, yeah, but
0: the thing is now is not only do they not win, but it they also might hurt their chances of getting into the...
1: That's, that's true. Yeah. So there there is still some party influence in terms of who gets placed in which electorates yep. and so, so on. So they'll have to strategize
0: yeah. with that in mind. Yeah. Okay. All right. This is terrible because I, I have to describe, the, the, one of the last things on the list is to describe the Keirstead plan, which is of course, please, it, please go ahead, which is the court, which is of course the roadmap to utopia. Uh-huh. So um, the Curestep plan is basically, uh, actually it agrees with the recent recently issued New Zealand independent electoral review, which by the way, they issued an interim report, which came out in June Public submissions closed in July, and they're going to issue a final report in November. And they made several recommendations, one of which was to abolish the threshold for the party vote. So rather than 5%, uh, not to abolish, sorry, to lower the threshold for the party vote. So to lower it from 5% to three three 3.5%. Mm-hmm. They don't want to lower it anymore because they think that'll allow sort of fringe parties to get in. Kirstad plan is more radical. The plan is to basically have no threshold on the basis that, I don't think that the system should be judging who are fringe parties, you know, because if the people vote for them, then I think they should, that should be represented. So the, the CUSTA plan is basically to make 0.4% the threshold, base, which is basically to have no threshold, because 0.4% is a pro- and this is something that the, in, the Independent Electoral Review Interim Report noted as well 0.4% is the approximate share of the vote that you need to get into Parliament. You need to get one seat in Parliament. Really? On the party vote, I would have thought yeah. it
1: was more like 0. 0.8 if there are 120 seats.
0: I originally said in my article 0. 0.8, but I but then I divided up the, the um, interim, uh, the the independent electoral view actually has point four as a figure. So I thought maybe I didn't, maybe I was looking at the total slice of the population rather than a majority of that slice of the population. Yeah. Anyway, it's something in something of that magnitude. It's I Have to think about that more and double check it before the Kirstad plan is um imp, imp, uh, you know brought in implemented yeah. implemented. And so then what you, d- you would do, instead of having a first-past-the-post-election in every electorate, you would have a two-round system like the one they use for the French presidential election. And that would obviously be a little bit more complicated. But, so what you do is you have all the candidates, and then the top two go through to a second round, and then there's a head-to-head. And what that would guarantee is that, at least in the second round, one candidate would have an absolute majority of the votes in that electorate, and that means that they would put them over that threshold, whether it's 0.4 or 0.8, and so automatically, by winning an electorate, you would have 0.4% of the vote, and that would be the same amount that, that would be the amount that you need. Mm -hmm. So, anyway, that's the Keirstead plan, we've had the Johnston plan, and I guess... We could adopt them
1: both, of course, they're compatible with one another.
0: I have to to think about that more. Yeah. I'll, I'll put the I, I put this laid this out more fully in an article I wrote actually quite a few years ago now, but I'll put that below the, the podcast as well. The I'll just note at the end as well that the interim report, the the independent electoral review interim report recommends also abolishing the one electorate seat threshold and overhangs uh, completely. So you don't get into Parliament. Your party doesn't get into Parliament by winning, winning an electoral seat. I just looked at the full report today and what I couldn't find is, an answer to the question: Well, what happens if you're? I don't know. Maybe you're David Seymour and you're representing ACT or, or whatever. What happens if you just you do win the electorate seat and you want to you want to represent ACT? Does that mean you just don't get into Parliament? I, I wasn't clear what. It, they're, I'm sure they have an answer to that. Uh, yeah, it wasn't I clear to me what the plan was.
1: I, I I don't like that stipulation if it means that somebody who's won an electorate doesn't go to Parliament.
0: Yeah, I'm not sure they're recommend. They're suggesting that, but that I, I don't. I couldn't find where they describe what's going on with that. There are a few other things in the report which don't pertain directly to electoral systems, and that's what we that's what we talked about today. So anyway, it's a complicated subject. I think we got through without making any major errors. Tell us what you think about it, MMP versus first past the post. Tell us what you think of the Kirstead plan, the Johnson plan, and the Kirstead-Johnson plan, and how soon you think uh, those should be implemented. And thanks for
1: listening. Thank you. Okay.